loved it. I send you a copy. Bam! Bitch went down. Welcome back to Horror Queers. We're talking horror movies. We're talking gay movies. We're talking lesbian movies. I'm Joe. And I'm Trace. And we are joined by a special guest star. We have Ali Gonzalez with us. Hello. I'm so excited to be the person you guys chose to talk about lesbians. and (laughs) (laughs) You know, that actually happens a lot because um, I was like, you know, we probably should have a female perspective on this show every now and then. So I'm very glad that we have you for this particular movie. I'm super excited. (laughs) Yes. So today we are talking about Daughters of Darkness from 1971, which is also officially the oldest movie that we have covered on the podcast yet, which makes me feel a little weird really that's interesting so i'm of two minds about this Mm -hmm. um yes so we we have covered a lot more recent movies i want to say before this the oldest movie we had done oh i want to say 1999 dead ringers 1988 oh sorry you are correct dead ringers 98 however for a lot of the older films you do have to kind of search for the queer theme sometimes whereas movies that are coming out today it's so it's a lot easier to find you know mm-hmm. queer horror out and about right that's yeah. a good point especially since 2000 for sure yeah absolutely wow. but, but this one lesbianism <laughs> all over it yeah not too hard to dig below the surface to find the lesbianism in this one eh not at all and honestly i am really impressed by that because i think that in this part of europe homosexuality was like finally decriminalized <laughs> only like two years before this movie was made oh so i was really impressed with how homoerotic it was <laughs> i was actually impressed by how for being 1971 it actually felt like a very modern film it does feel of the time but it felt like it could have been made today mm-hmm. i would actually die for a remake of this i know a lot of people are not on board with remakes but i think it could be more explicitly gay if it were me today. You will not find any remake haters here. Uh, Joe and I, <laughs> we actually just did a Patreon episode on the remake of Last House on the Left, which uh, we both love and prefer to the original. Oh, yes. that's such a relief. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, uh, we are talking about Daughters of Darkness today, which was released on October 22nd, 1971. We are looking at a runtime of 100 minutes. And I don't know if y'all know about this. So the uncut version, which is what my Blu-ray is, it was 100 minutes, but apparently there was an edited version released that was 87 minutes. Ooh, that'd be significant. Yeah, and so I don't know what it was. I don't know which version, like if it was an international version or whatever, but yeah, there is definitely a version that is 13 minutes shorter. And did you watch the 100-minute one? Yes, that's the Blu-ray actually, it, it's this, and it comes with another copy of The Blood-Spattered Bride, which I've never seen. Really I think nice. that the edited version just cuts out like the ending. Oh, really? Yeah, really? Which is the best part to me. So, uh, well, I mean, I'll just go on the record right now. This movie really worked for me, and I can't imagine any. I mean, maybe some edits for pacing, but I feel like we're talking about 1971, and things were more acceptable to be a little bit more slowly paced. Right. But I definitely cannot imagine cutting out the ending of this film because it is amazing. Like, it's well, fantastic. by the ending, I don't mean like. We'll talk about it later, but I don't yeah. mean the car stuff. Fiery I mean, like, car every- stuff. Uh, which is amazing, by the <laughs> so way. So good. Like, it, it's <laughs> my favorite part of the movie. When it happened, I gasped out. I'm watching it by myself on my couch, and I gasped. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Because 
the movie does not prepare. Okay, yeah, we'll put a yeah, pause yeah. in it. Put a we'll, pin we'll, in it. <laughs> put a pin in it. We'll get into it. But I did want to comment on the pacing, though, really quickly. I actually read a lot of Letterboxd reviews from, you know, like-minded people afterwards, and I was surprised by how many of them commented on the quote-unquote slow pace. And mm. honestly, I did not find this movie slow. I did find the scenes with Valerie and Stefan when it was just the two of them. Maybe some of them dragged a bit, but anything, anything with yeah. Countess Batori, which I won't, I want to say Bathory, but they keep saying Batori in the movie, so I'll just, yes. <laughs> yeah. I'll just go with it. <laughs> anything with her, I was like, give me more of this. I was never bored when she was on screen. I totally agree. And for a second there, I was like, maybe I just find heteros so like boring. <laughs> like it was so boring yeah. to me. They are the most boring characters. Oh my gosh! I was calling him the monk, the the monkey, and because he looks like a member of the monkeys. Oh my gosh! And True. then she was blonde Cher. <laughs> yes, yes. She was Sherry Moon Zombie to me. Yes, oh. also good. <laughs> I kind of called her like blonde boar, and I was like, he's just like womanizer asshole. <laughs> that. I- Okay, yes. So when we dig into these characters, like, because, yeah, I have things to say. (laughs) (laughs) I wonder how, like, intentional it was to make them the most boring characters. I want to say not, because the thing is that that's one issue that I have with it is that you're to believe that Batori is so enamored with Valerie that it fuels the entire, like, plot of the movie. That's a good point. And I don't fully buy it. It's all about her look. It's not about her personality. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's true. Which again, I was like, um, hi, have you looked at Alona? Because uh, chick is banging. She was like a Renaissance painting. She oh was God, so she's perfect. She's so gorgeous. I was calling her the whore secretary from Love Actually the whole time. <laughs> yes! Oh <laughs> yes, my God. also true. <laughs> <laughs> it took me about halfway through the movie to be like, oh, that's it. Because I was like, she looks like someone and I don't like her. I don't know what it is about her, but I don't like her. <laughs> Oh, okay, uh, run us perfect. through the sheet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, really quickly. I mean, I don't have any box office numbers for this movie. I could, I didn't do a deep dive. I literally went to Wikipedia and I saw nothing. And I went to Box Office Mojo and I saw nothing. So I was like, all right, not worth it. Then I went to Rotten Tomatoes. We're looking at a 73% positive, which is lower than I expected, obviously. Oh, yeah. But it's only 11 reviews. Hmm. But I think Ebert gave it a 3 out of 4. I think he said it was a pretty good movie. And then audience score of 60%. Uh, there's no Metacritic score for this movie. 60% for audience, I think, is fine. Because, yeah, I imagine that it doesn't have a wide audience. I mean, slowly paced. Again, not my words. People's words. Art house lesbian vampire movie. So, meh. And y'all might have to correct me on this. We are looking at director Harry Kumel. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's right. right. Yeah. Yeah. There are three <laughs> three writers. <Yeah. laughs> three writers, though. It's also Kumel and uh, J.J. Emil and Pierre Drott. Druat. Druat. I don't know. <laughs> oh, God. I Welcome know. back to Belgium, France. <laughs> I know. I'm, I'm really not good with accents, so it's okay. This movie is basically a play. There are four main actors. You've got Delphine Seyrig as Countess Batori. Mm-hmm. Uh, John Carlin from TV's Dark Shadows as Stefan or Stefan. Did we say Stefan? Stefan? I said Stefan. I think Stefan. Yeah, Stefan. Cool. Like Prince Stefan. No, King Stefan from Sleeping Beauty. And then <laughs> Danielle we met as Valerie, aka Blonde Cher. 
and Andrea Rao as Ilona, aka Whore Love Actually Secretary. <laughs> I, I guess really, Do we uh, say whore? Do no, we, we don't. Whore? I was I was just thinking about that. I shouldn't use the word whore because that is putting a negative, you know, anti-sex thing. She's not a whore. She's just a skank. I mean, <laughs> more like a would-be adulterer. Yes, a would-be adulterer. <laughs> oh Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, oh, I, Ali, did we mention that we're super offensive, like, 90% no. of the time? <laughs> it's really me. I actually have to ask Joe frequently. I'm like, D- is, that, is that okay to say? Can I say that? I don't really know. <laughs> the answer is always no. The answer, <laughs> the answer is, if you have to ask, then no, you should not say that. <laughs> and honestly, yeah, that's kind of all I have for this. I'm not familiar with a lot of these players. And maybe y'all are, so y'all can go into it a, a little bit more in depth. But that is Daughters of Darkness. I actually don't know anything about any of these people, except that, obviously, the Countess, she's probably the biggest star in this, and mm-hmm. I did some researching. I saw a video on YouTube about her. She was actually super feminist, yes. but she died really, really young. She died yes. maybe like 30 or 40 years ago, which is sad. I think she was in her 50s when she died, I think. Yeah. I don't even know what the cause was, but it's just a shame, because the person I was watching on YouTube, she was like, I would like to think that she would have been an ally because she was in this movie first of all and second of all she had like this really feminist history about her and she was the one that everything in this movie that is not subtext and is like straight out gay Mm -hmm. she helped write so Mm -hmm. i'm gonna consider her an ally for the sake of this podcast no for sure i mean honestly like i I read too because um the director didn't think that he was gonna get her for this movie and when she said yes, he was shocked because he's like, you're doing this like smutty lesbian vampire movie. Like what made you want to agree to that? But she was into it and she's great. Yeah. Well, I think she was into it and she was also like, okay, but let's make sure that it's not the regular narrative around lesbians in vampire movies that were really prominent at this particular point in time. Because at this point in the early 70s, late 60s, lesbian vampire movies were kind of a dime a dozen. And this one is distinctly different from all the other ones. Yes. If you're talking about like the horror lesbian movies. Yeah. (laughs) I literally tweeted that The Vampire Lovers is actually like my favorite. And we'll talk about this later also. But I just feel like that one is more explicitly queer than this Mm -hmm. one is. And I actually think that this one has some moments where I was like, oh, come on, like, this could have been used differently. Like, there's a kiss scene where the kiss happens off screen, and it's the only mm-hmm. explicit moment between the two women. I'm loath to use the word tasteful, because then that implies that, like, showing two women kiss isn't tasteful. But it's a very, like, sensual as opposed to a overtly sexual movie. This is the kind of the vibe I got from it. I mean, I don't know, because it opens with, like, this long, explicit sex scene between the heterosexual couple, and then the affair scene is explicit as well, so why can't this, like, tender and, like, sensual kiss be shown on screen? Yeah. It literally, like, zooms in on their lips getting closer and closer, and then it cuts behind her, so you can't really see it. And again, Mm. like, this was released soon after the decriminalization of homosexuality, so... I think that's important to take into account, though. So maybe they they were definitely towing that line where they were like, okay, we just don't want to piss off too many people which you have people still doing that today you know where it's like oh we don't want to show this so i'll cut the movie some slack for that for being 1971 i'll let it slide but i totally get where you're coming from right so that i guess that's just why i love the hammer vampire movies because the vampire lovers is i don't know if you guys have seen it but it's super explicitly gay no and i actually don't even know if it's on our list joe so we might need to remember to add that to it later Hmm. i will make a note 
I know there's a bunch of lesbian vampire movies. <laughs> there's yeah. like so many. <laughs> yeah. Having not seen a ton of them, this one felt different. And maybe it's just more falling into that art realm where it is, quote unquote, a little bit more tasteful. Yes, but yes. I fully expected it to be really exploitative. So when, I, so when I. it opened up and it was on that straight love scene and she's like holding on to the bars and the train, I was like, okay, well, now I guess I know what we're in for. But then it <laughs> felt really restrained, which I found... Kind of surprising, but I can, I guess, Ali, I can also see why you would say, yeah, this film could be remade now and maybe they could lean into some of that or even like equalize it out a little bit more. Right, because I think that balance is the key. And I feel like while it was a little, I, I don't want to use the word tasteful either, but there wasn't that like less exploitation. No, that no. I in other movies, you know. <laughs> so, on one hand, I'm like, thank God for that. But on the other, I'm like, damn, I don't want to see them kiss. Yeah, you're like, give me a, just a touch more intimacy, maybe. <laughs> yeah, I mean, exactly. I, I was really into their love story, but yeah, I, I, I agree. Like, I definitely was expecting something different with this movie. So, like, when like by the time it ended, I was like, wow. I was, I was also, I don't know why, but I was kind of expecting something a little more um, giallo ish. Hmm. Mm. And so, because it was, I knew it was European, so I actually thought it was going to be subtitled, or, like many giallos, poorly dubbed. So I was actually uh -huh. very surprised when it was in English with the normal accents with no dubbing, uh, which mm -hmm. I really liked, because the dubbing is something I hate about giallo. Apparently, it was in English. I saw the Joe Bob version of this, so mm -hmm. I had a little... Oh my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So every actor is from, like, a different region in this is Belgian, right? I believe yeah. it's Belgian. Yes. Yeah. And so different regions speak different languages. So because they couldn't all speak the same language, but they could all speak English. And that's why the movie was in English. Weird. Uh, to which I'm sense. like, Ugh, English, the universal language. <laughs> it makes me feel so distinctly North American. Blah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Maybe before we go any further, should I read plot. the plot synopsis? <laughs> yes. 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 <laughs> Kind of dancing around it, like we haven't gone too far, but um, okay. So I'm going to read a paraphrased description of the plot that I stole from a woman named Bonnie Zimmerman, and it's from an article that I'm going to quote a little bit throughout called Daughters of Darkness, Lesbian Vampires, and it's from <laughs> Jump Cut number 24 to 25 from March of 1981. She really hit the nail on the head with that title. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, she she went direct, we'll say that. <laughs> So, okay, so this is Daughters of Darkness or La Rouge aux Lèvres, which translates into Blood on the Lips, which I thought was also a pretty good title. Mm -hmm. So the film opens in Austin, which is in Belgium, in the off-season, where newlywed couples Stefan and Valerie have stopped on their way to England. They epitomize the perfect heterosexual couple, except that he turns out to be a sexual sadist and his mother is really an aging homosexual lover. We'll get to that. No, I, <laughs> things to say. So many things. Okay. The other visitors at the hotel are the Countess Battery, who has returned to the Ostend Hotel after a 30-year absence as young and fresh as ever, as well as her devoted female companion, Ilona. While Alona distracts Stefan, the Countess seduces his willing bride. Alona accidentally kills herself or is killed by Stefan. It's a little unclear. Yeah. After a bathroom sexual assault and the remaining trio bury her body in the sand dunes unceremoniously. After Valerie spends the night with the Countess, Stefan attacks her, but the two women overpower him and shatter a crystal bowl over his wrists and then suck on his blood as he dies. 
The new lovers drive off but fail to beat the rising sun and they crash into the ditch. The countess is flung through the windshield, impaled on a tree branch, and lit on fire by the exploding (laughs) car. Her spirit transmigrates into Valerie's body, who is later glimpsed carrying on the seduction of a new set of lovers in the coda. Wait, seriously? I did not get that at all. Yeah, I didn't fully understand that until I read it in a couple of different places, because I just thought that she had turned Valerie, and then Valerie was carrying it on. But I think your clue is meant to be that she's using the exact same language as the Mm -hmm. Countess. Uh, that actually kind of makes me happier, honestly, that she like survives. <laughs> yeah. Valerie does not deserve to live. No, she at does the not. expense of the Countess. <laughs> <laughs> so that actually kind of oh, this this is a three and a half five out of five for me, and that actually might bump it up to a four. <laughs> That's why, like, the ending is so important. So I don't know why they would have cut that out. <laughs> oh my gosh, I could not imagine because okay, let's just talk about this ending. Okay. Yeah, it is sensational and so unexpected. It's like a very Final Destination-y type death for her too. Like, so it's not enough that she's impaled on this branch. She catches on fire, and just mm-hmm. we're just staring at her burn in this beautiful tableau. Mm-hmm. I want it's gorgeous. It. Oh my gosh, and that body, like, I mean. That is a fantastic puppet that they mm-hmm. sail through that window. But when it impales on the tree branch and you've got the tree line and the sun rising up, you're just like, wow. I mean, if you're going to have to go out, that is a beautiful fucking death. Yeah, I will say that this movie definitely looks better than all the Hammer ones. So it was a lot <laughs> nicer to look at. The picture was gorgeous. It was a beautiful, beautiful movie. Yeah. I mean, I'm just saying. Um... <laughs> Can we go a little bit further back? Yeah. Okay, because remember how I said there wasn't, like, this explicit sex scene between them? Yeah. There's a scene in the car where it sounds like if you had your eyes closed and you didn't know that they were driving in the Festa. car. Festa. Yes, that. <laughs> oh, yeah. Really? Mm. It, it, it's, it's after they bury Alona, right? No, no. It's like while they're driving to try to beat the sun. Oh, oh. like, And she's like, drive faster. You need to drive faster. And she's gotcha. like, oh. And like, she's kind of kissing her neck, but it also looks like it could just be that the countess is whispering in her ear. Yeah. Yeah. Again, it's not explicitly stated, but it's definitely meant to get mm-hmm. your imagination going. It's like my favorite part of the whole movie also. Yeah. It was very erotic. It's definitely something, I guess, that clearly rewards second viewings or multiple viewings because, yeah, I I didn't pick up on that when I was watching it. But Joe and I have discussed, I'm not great at picking up on subtle things on a first viewing. (laughs) Oh, that was, I mean, I didn't pick that up on my own. I definitely read that. And then on watching it again, I was like, holy shit. Yeah. That is amazingly done. Mm -hmm. I agree. Especially, too, because then she's like... She's, like, trying to drive the car, but she's losing control, and you're kind of like, mm, is it the sun, or is it something else? Oh. <laughs> well, nevertheless, I was mad at Blanche Hare. I was so mad at her. I was like, what? You don't fucking crash this car and kill her. You respect her, and you race home to get into that hotel room. <laughs> I was just so angry because they foolishly dumped Stefan's body off the balcony, and then they were like... <laughs> I guess we should leave the hotel now before somebody arrives. But part of me was like, maybe wait and dump the body at night when you can leave and not have to try to outrace the sun in your little sportsmobile. I thought that too, though. And I think that maybe it was because they knew that room service was going to come in. So they had to do something with the body before the day. Oh, yeah. Pierre was all over them. Like he was up in the Countess's (laughs) biz all the time. It's like, I get it, there's only four guests at this hotel, but mind your fucking business. 
Yeah. I loved him. Oh, yeah, he's great. <laughs> I loved him. But, yeah, the ending was bananas. And I don't know if you guys have seen the trailer, but I think people were a little misguided because the trailer is a lot of what happens at the end, and it's cut in a way where it feels super fast-paced. Oh. But when you watch the movie, it's like, why is this like The Shining? Yeah. See, the, the benefit that it has over The Shining, which I do like The Shining, but I will agree that that movie is, you can feel the slow pace of it, is that The Shining is over two hours long, whereas this is an hour and 40 yeah. minutes. Touche. It doesn't hurt this movie for me, whereas ugh, I'm going to get stabbed for this, but like I think it does kind of hurt The Shining somewhat. No, I agree. I mean, I can't rewatch The Shining, but I could rewatch. Mm-hmm. I mean, not all the time, but I can rewatch yeah. this whenever. Like, this was fun for me. There's always something interesting happening in this film, which is, I'm not going to comment on The Shining. We're not talking about The Shining. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I know. And, and people, people will kill us for that, so... <laughs> But, like, in this particular film, if we're stuck with just Valerie and Stefan on screen, there's costuming or there's the aesthetic of the hotel to the look at. The sets are great. And the empty hotel, which I guess maybe that's where we're getting that shining comparison from, too, because it's a, it's a very empty, glamorous hotel. And it's, mm-hmm. it, it, but it's, oh, it's such a pretty hotel. I wanted to go there, like, right away. I mean, I was really impressed with how this looked the first time going into it. I didn't know that it was actually really low budget. I don't know what exactly the budget was. I do know it was low budget. Mm-hmm. I mean, look at the actors they got. When did we ever see them again? So for that... <laughs> hey, John Carlin is famous for <laughs> Dark Shadow people. <laughs> I'm sorry, John Carlin. But, I think he's alive, um, so he he may listen to this one day. Oh, you never no. know. <laughs> he is still alive. He is 85 years old. Oh, hi, John. And he's probably home alone just listening to podcasts. Well, I'm sorry for insulting your career, but, um, but for you know how low the budget was, the way they intelligently chose to go to this hotel during the slow season, mm-hmm. so that they had to pay less. It was just really brilliant because the look makes the movie to me. Oh yeah, mm-hmm. I mean it's interesting because I was trying to think as I was watching it. I was like, when is the last time that you actually saw a film take advantage of big empty open spaces, but is actually still set in in like a residential or high population area? I always think of stuff like, oh, you know, they go out to the woods and they get lost and then they use the immensity of the forest as part of the ambience. Whereas here, so much of the atmosphere is coming from the fact that this little group of people are spending all of this time together in a giant space that's just completely empty. Like, why is the Countess going after them? Because they're the only ones there and she's infatuated with them. But if you were, you know, Valerie or Stefan, you'd be like, uh what is this lady doing with us? Why won't she leave us alone? (laughs) Stefan doesn't seem to mind very much. No, I just, so I guess I kept putting myself in the place of like people in this movie because I was like, hey, I wanted to be in this hotel. Like imagine how fun it would be to be like in a hotel in the off season and just kind of have it to yourself. I just think it'd be really fun. But I mean, obviously still staffed, you know, whereas with The Shining, it's not staffed. You're just there by yourself. And then, when I'm on vacation like that, like, and, like, we go to the bar and stuff, I like to meet new people from different places and talk to them. And so when they were kind of being bitches to Batori, I was like, y'all need to shut the fuck up and just talk to this lady because she's cultured way beyond you. And y'all need to respect <laughs> it. Clearly, Trace has strong feelings about oh, yes. the Countess. <laughs> he has very strong feelings. Well, I mean, okay, so my favorite scene in this movie, beyond the bombastic ending, is actually mm-hmm. the scene when they all get together for the first time. Is it where she invites them to drinks and she yes. basically refuses to take no for an answer? 
Yes. That's a scene where I can imagine someone saying, oh, this is kind of boring. We're just sitting these people sit and talk. But I thought the conversation they were all having was great. And I was really wanting to know what this blue drink that she had was. Oh, my God. Oh, it right? was like milky. I don't know what that was. <laughs> because that what she ordered, delicious. I feel like that's not what she got. And then she obviously doesn't drink it either because she doesn't eat people food. <laughs> right. <laughs> You talk about the ambiance and the atmosphere of this movie, which obviously it does come from the setting a lot, but this actress exudes atmosphere. Like, when she's on the screen, she gives off this... She's that line where she's like, uh, I can't behave like everyone else when I, when I think something, I have to say it. And it just makes her such a fascinating character. I don't know. Like, it felt very taboo for what I imagine 1971 was. I agree. She also has that amazing line where she's asked how she stays so young, and she's like, oh, lots of sleep and a strict diet. And I'm like, ha! <laughs> that is just, I love you. That is amazing. She's funny as fuck. It's great. Yeah, she's great. I do like her, and I'm glad she lives on. Well, I'm glad to know. Honestly, I did not know that until y'all told me, so it really makes me excited to know that. It makes me see the whole movie in a whole different light. Now I wonder if that body that she was in well, no, yeah, it was, because the guy realized that she looked familiar, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, the suggestions seem to be that she was the Countess Battery, because when she has that conversation that turns incredibly sexual with Stefan after the drinks, <laughs> you know, they're kind of trading these historical barbs, and she's like, oh, it was actually 700 virgins, and, you know, it Ooh. was X many years ago, and you're like... Okay, lady, you're laying the cards a little clearly on the table here. Good thing that these two people are fairly stupid or else they would have picked up on. <laughs> and I did enjoy that, too. The whole monologue that she gives, or I guess the dialogue with Stefan about what the original, quote unquote, Countess Batori did with her victims was super graphic and very... Oh my gosh, yeah. Like, it's something like tearing out their nipples with silver pencil. Amazing. Pen pencils, I laughed pencers. so hard. Oh, yeah. Stabbing them in the face with a poker? <laughs> it evokes some really graphic imagery that I was like, the movie's not showing, because the movie, this movie's not particularly bloody or graphic, no. but it does make you imagine it, which is great. I did want to ask y'all, so now that I know that, you know, she puts her soul into Blonde Cher's body, do y'all think, <laughs> do y'all think then that that was always the plan? Or did she actually love Blanchere? That is a good question. Yeah, like, it's vague. The movie doesn't really seem to hint at it. Because I legit thought that she was in love with Valerie. Or is it like a failsafe that she has? Where she's like, oh, look, don't worry. If I ever die, I can always immediately transfer my soul into another body. Ali, do you have opinions or do you want me to go? I'm trying to think. You go ahead first. Okay, so I'm inclined to agree with you, Trace. I do think... I don't know that it's love. To me, it was really more infatuation because mm. she sees her across the lobby and she's just like, who is that girl? I've got to have her. And it seemed to me that it's coming at the expense of Alona because I got the impression that Alona has not been with the Countess all that long because she still is trying to break free and she's trying to escape. But obviously, there's some kind of connection where she can't actually leave the Countess and we see that at the end with Valerie. Apparently, it's like you spend one night with this lady and you're tied to her for the rest of your journey. Well, that's another thing, too, though, because I got her, Valerie going from saying that she discussed her to being enamored with her. Mm -hmm. I was like, I think then it's some kind of hypnosis. Like, I think yeah. that it, it, yeah. it, this isn't intentional. Like, it's almost like a mind rape. Yeah, well, it feels yeah. very like Renfieldian. Mm hmm. 
you've got a subservient that will do your bidding. And in this case, she has Alona and then all of a sudden she sees Valerie and she's like, hey, hot blonde. All right, Alona, I'm going to replace you and get rid of you. Which is why I think, you know, when unfortunately Alona does pass, she has no issues kicking her down a sand dune. But my thing is, like, if her intentions the whole time were to just have, like, a vehicle for her soul, <laughs> then why would she have just not used Alona? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, maybe she didn't think she was pretty enough. <laughs> Rude. A big part of this movie <laughs> is about companionship. Right. And that's part of the reason why we've got the Stefan Valerie Countess love triangles, because it's all about companionship, but also power and domination. Yeah, but... Th- th- there's a line towards the end when it, it's when Valerie's already come over to her side and, you know, Stefan's like, it's up to me what she does. But she says something that's like, please be nice to me. Like, you have to be nice to me. It, there's this kind of moment of low self-esteem that the Countess gives off in that moment that I was like, oh. I don't know. Now that you bring it up, Joe, you're kind of right. Because she had like a conversation with Alona where Alona was like, I don't want to do this anymore. Like, mm-hmm, I'm sick mm-hmm. of you. And so I guess... That's why she was looking for somebody else, because she wants somebody who, like, wants to be there, which I guess is also why she asked Blancher to be nice to her. (laughs) Yeah. I kind of got the impression that, I'll circle back around as to why I think this is, but I got the impression that she actually wanted to, like, kick Alona to the curb and then bring on both Valerie and Stefan. Because part of me was like, okay, you've got Valerie, you've got what you want, why are you still bringing Stefan along in these final scenes and you could either read it as she was always going to kill him so that they could suck up his blood or she was going to try to do it like we see in the end scene where she's got both partners Valerie has that connection to Stefan so I think she was stringing him along until she could fully have Valerie and then the plan was always going to be to get rid of Stefan yeah like maybe she just thought it would be easier if she convinced Stefan that she was okay to then convince Blanchere that she was okay. I'm, I'm not calling her anything else for the remainder of this episode, <laughs> by the way. I mean, that's what she is. She's Blanchere. So what I'm hearing is you want me to stop using the proper name in the circle. Her, her name Blanchere. is not Valerie. Her name is not Valerie. <laughs> no, but the, the thing, I did want to rewind to what you mentioned, though, about kicking Alona to the curb. How funny was that visual when Stefan was, like, trying to push Alona, and then <laughs> the Countess just walks up, pushes him aside, and just, like, fucking kicks her. <laughs> Yes. So great. She was clearly so devastated and heartbroken that her companion, her secretary, (laughs) her beloved secretary, has been murdered. She could barely function. Meanwhile, she's like, hey, new girl, walk and talk with me. (laughs) Wasn't the kiss, like, immediately after that? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yes, it was. (laughs) And you could see the little blood on Blanchere's lip there after they had the quick not kiss. Because, of course, we don't really see it. but Which I guess is, you know, the titular scene. Mm -hmm. that's where the seduction begins but i did love it because immediately after alona is dead you know they walk in and blonde is like oh Stefan, and the countess just immediately takes control of the scene she kicks him out she's like get me towels mop up all this blood get me sheets and she you can just see what alona was not enjoying like once you're subservient to her she is the coolest of bitches no, she is a badass bitch, and she's amazing. <laughs> oh, I mean, I loved her, but I was <laughs> she like... get shit done. <laughs> like, the minute that she falls out of love with you, you're already dead to her. Which is why, you know, that savage, <laughs> shady kick down the sand dune, you're like, wow, 
This woman was your companion. You were sleeping with her yesterday. No, no, no. Okay, but Elona was very clearly not into this from the get-go. So can we really fault the Countess for being, like, (laughs) over it? Because Elona did not treat her very well. But Blonde Cher is, like, a asshole to her from the get-go as well so i'm just like what is the gag here that's true i'm confused (laughs) to me that is part of if there is a problem with this film and i really like this film this film is somewhere between a four and a four and a half for me the thing that i didn't like about this is i could not understand what the appeal of blonde chair was i agree (laughs) she's just so vapid and blank and i don't know if it's the performance or if it's the way that she's written but i was like this ultra glam femme lesbian shows up whispering things in your ear offering you this life of luxury and you want to stay with your misogynistic sadist husband Girl, drop the D. Come well, on. <laughs> but 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 I counter with this then. Look at all men, stupid men, who love to go for the vapid dumb girl. Mm-hmm. Like, what is there besides look? It's like what you said earlier. It's her looks. It is. Which I guess are impressive. <laughs> uh, yeah, she's really pretty, I guess. But In the know. 70s. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So I have two ways that I take this movie. Mm-hmm. On one hand, I'm like, yeah oh, we hate men. Then on the second one, I'm like, oh, wait a second, because the Countess is actually really terrible. Yeah. Like, she's using manipulation. She's also kind of emotionally abusive. Mm -hmm. So I feel like I don't really understand what it's trying to do, if it's trying to create this, like, solidarity between the women, or if it's trying to be like, we all are capable of being cruel. I mean, I think it's, yeah, it's definitely up to whoever's watching it to kind of decide Can I bring in a quote from Bonnie? Sure. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Bonnie! Bonnie, save us! Okay, so Bonnie's making the argument that this film is more progressive than the other lesbian vampire films of the time, in part because of second wave feminism, but also because the homosexuality is not coded in the same against male patriarchy kind of way. So here's a quote. In Daughters of Darkness, heterosexuality is a decidedly ambiguous character. The only male in the film is unsympathetic and hardly a character men might care to identify with, Mm -hmm. since he is himself sexually aberrant, the kept man of an elderly transvestite. We don't use that word anymore. Furthermore, because of his own homosexuality, he is particularly insecure and vulnerable in relation to his bride. He thus abuses his male privilege of establishing control over his woman. So part of her argument is this idea that typically these lesbian vampire films are for explicitly male audiences who can sympathize with the male characters and be like, it's kind of hot that there's this lesbian vampire, but at the end of the day, she's got to be put down because she's a threat to my masculinity. Whereas in this film, Stephanie is such an asshole and he's such a terrible person that you kind of actually want blonde chair to end up with the countess because it's a much better option it's like the lesser of two evils that's a really good point actually because back to the other movies that i've seen like the vampire lovers that's pretty much exactly what happens there's boobs everywhere making out everywhere but then like obviously spoiler actually i'm not going to spoil it but (laughs) okay it, it just so happens that 
it doesn't end very well for our lovers. <laughs> no, so, I mean, because it never does, right? And this film exactly. still confirms that you don't end up with blonde Cher and the Countess just driving off to their new beautiful European lifestyle. But at the same time, the fact that the threat to traditional patriarchy or even like traditional heterosexuality, it's still alive and kicking. I loved how subversive and kind of like, fuck you, normal hetero people this movie is i was expecting this movie to be more like boobs lesbians blah like so sexy like from the (laughs) and that it's directed by a man is kind of even more impressive to me and it was kind of equal opportunity with the nudity like i wrote in my notes um titties in all caps every time boobs (laughs) popped up but i got one i got dick i got dick in all caps once it was great (laughs) i was like he is wearing the shortest of bathrobes (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> if we don't get to see a little something, I mean, I don't. They, they hit I did it. not find John Carlin particularly attractive. It's that hair. Is that monkey's hair? <laughs> it's something with his face. He has really. I felt like he had really bad bags under his eyes. He just looks so tired. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I mean, the film ultimately is. You know, it's given a little bit of something, something to everybody. I guess it's because, like, myself being bisexual, I don't want this like trope lesbians only hold hands like yeah i don't like that at all either so i feel like i need a good amount like a good middle ground in my queer cinema i get that and you're right and i i don't know if this is like super relevant like, so um, my husband and i were um out of town for the weekend and it was kind of a more conservative area of texas and we were in this you know dive bar it was like a sports bar slash karaoke slash pool hall and i went to kiss him and he was like no no no, no. don't don't do that not yeah. here because it's still not safe. Exactly. And so that's like, when I see that in a movie like this, I'm like, I mean, obviously, yes, you want to see it go all the way, especially in a movie made today. I just feel like that that's kind of what was on their mind the whole, well, maybe not, though, because this movie is super, like, lesbian. <laughs> well, it is interesting, because I'll confess, Ali, I didn't think about what you raised at the top until after you said it. Because initially, when it opened, I was like, okay, so we are going to get not hardcore action, but it's obviously going to be Cinemax equivalent in terms of like boobs and thrusting and so on. And then the film really does pull it back. Like the most explicit that we get is hand holding some, you know, kind of like light finger grazing, which is so traditionally lesbian coding. It's like, look at the nails touching each other. (laughs) I mean, yeah, we're, we're not getting like a bound... No, <laughs> there's oh, no, no bound. No, 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 we're not. <laughs> no Wait, bounds, finger, finger bang. No, well, it's yeah. not horror, but honestly, um, oh, I, that's, we would, yeah, that's right. <laughs> I know. Trust me, like, because I love Bound. Bound is one of my favorite movies of all time. It's great. I've um, never seen it. Oh my god, <gasps> Joe. Joe! I know. I know. <laughs> this is. I'm like, a bad gay. I know. This episode is not about Bound, but let me just say, it is the most formative movie of my like sexual identification story oh my gosh <laughs> yeah it is the wachowski sisters best movie hands down really i'm not like i don't know if i would qualify it as noir i'm not a noir person um it's not really a genre that i gravitate to or particularly enjoy but oh my god that movie is so good it's never boring it's really like i don't want to say campy but like the performances between tilly and gina gershon are very heightened oh god mm-hmm. joe maybe i'll just make us do it for patreon and say fuck it like we're just gonna do a non-horror episode <laughs> I mean, I've heard nothing bad about it, 
What's interesting to me is, okay, this is now a bound podcast. No, no, no. It's okay. It's okay. It's okay. It's okay. The only thing I ever hear about it is the chemistry between Tilly and Gershon, which I it's like. Great. I've seen clips. I've seen the trailer and it's palpable. Like I can totally see it, but it's hilarious because I feel like nobody really cares about the rest of the movie. It's just all about them. I, what's funny is though, when you watch it, like, it is one sex scene in that movie. And it, granted, it is a graphic sex scene. But the heist that is is what the movie is about is so involving and so suspenseful and so intense that I'm actually surprised. It, obviously, for 1995, I think, it's shocking to see a lesbian sex scene like that in like mm-hmm. mainstream cinema. But man, that it's so much more than that sex scene. It's so much more than that. Yeah. Whereas in this film, we get, you know, a repeated <laughs> glimpse of a door shutting on two women in the same room. <laughs> yeah. Which I did like, though. If you aren't going to show graphic stuff, I did love this idea that it's like, here's a visual motif. We've got Alona assuming this one position, and then that exact same shot gets covered again. Only Alona is gone, and it's blonde chair taking her place. Have you guys seen Vampiro's Lesbos? No, but that is on our list. Okay. Obviously. Then I shall not elaborate <laughs> No, well, no, no, feel free, feel free. By all means, yeah. I mean, like, I, I'm not well-versed in this, and, like, you can say I, I'm not averse to spoilers, so whatever you want to do. I think if you guys enjoyed this, you guys are going to very much enjoy that, because the vampirism aspect of everything is way less, like, fangs, like, I can't walk mm. into the... I mean... They can't be in the sunlight, but, you know, if you look at them, you're not like a vampire. You know right, what I mean? Right, right. So I think that you'll enjoy it a lot. But this movie does give you that really great silhouette shot where she wraps her cape around oh Blanchard. Gosh, and it's, yes. she looks like a bat. It's oh. gorgeous. It's stunning. It's, it's hilarious because I was like, it's a bit on the nose. And then I'm like, she's wearing a glittery fucking cape at dawn. And she's circling <laughs> out like, girl, if I was a drag queen, I would be living for the Countess. <laughs> I mean, she's based on Marlena Dietrich, so obviously yes. she's fucking stunning. But just, like, every time she shows up in a different outfit, I'm like, girl, get yours. You are flawless. <laughs> like, <laughs> all of a sudden, I'm on, I'm on RuPaul's Drag Race the whole movie. Every time she shows up, I'm like, yes, that look, work it, girl. <laughs> no, there were two outfits where I was like, I don't cross-dress, but I would, just to wear what she's wearing. It's the silver one. Yep. The silver one, which the way he, sh- I don't know if it's because of the budget, so he couldn't afford to not make it sparkle on the screen like that, or if it was totally intentional, but the way that it sparkles constantly for that last scene mm-hmm. is gorgeous. Well, and the whole time she's wearing it, I feel like she's deliberately partially reclining into the window. Mm-hmm. So her body looks extra elongated and it's giving you more movement and kind of more shine she is working that dress and the other one is that purple feather outfit where it's like the feathers on the on the neckline on the wrist cuffs on the ankle cuffs it's or i guess like really just the whole bottom of the dress i want to wear that all the time i really liked the red dress that she was wearing when she met the couple Mm. because it reminded me that's the one i thought you were going to say trace no feathers It reminded me of a dress that Ingrid Pitt wears in Vampire Lovers. It's almost the exact same dress. So I'm like, um, intercontextualization. Love it. I'm actually really glad that you're bringing up these movies, though, because even though I'm sure we'll add them to our list, like, I I just want to go watch them right now. I think you'll enjoy Vampire's Lesbos more than you will The Vampire Lovers. Mm -hmm. (laughs) 
<laughs> if you're not into like hammer stuff, but I think I'm not well versed in hammer either. So that's something that Joe's going to have to do for me. Mm. <laughs> I mean, it's interesting because I feel like there's so much more sensuality and color coding and eroticism in lesbian vampirism, whereas it feels so obvious when it's a male vampire. I don't know if it's just the familiarity or it's this idea of a rapey man. Like predatory? Yeah. Mm -hmm. And maybe this is a weird kind of reverse homophobia on my part, but there's something so empowering about a female vampire seducing her way in and just upsetting. So can I like... <laughs> can Absolutely. I, uh, sh- okay. Yes, so always yes. The reason that you might feel that way is because... Not maybe not so much in this movie because I don't think there were any fangs in this. No, no, there isn't. So fangs are supposed to represent like an insertional right act, right? right? And so when you are biting someone, then there's like the fluid exchange, whatever. Mm-hmm. So when a woman or a female vampire is biting a male person, then the insertional party is the woman mm-hmm. and the male's like the receiver. And I think, well, I don't know how explicit we can get on here, but oh, no, like oh, whatever anything you want. you want to say. <laughs> <laughs> I personally am a big fan of that kind of <laughs> that kind of straying from heteronormativity. Yeah, a mm-hmm. bit of gender reversal, a little yeah. bit of woman assuming the dominant role, and definitely, oh, it's like definitely. pegging and shit. Exactly. Yes, <laughs> yes Trace. <laughs> I, I just want I just wanted to make it explicit, just in case. <laughs> right. So I think I don't know. I. That's why I think it's so badass that vampires are used this way. I mean, I would make an argument that vampires are just queer from the get-go. The very first instance of a vampire in literature that I can think of is Carmilla, Mm -hmm. and it's like a lesbian vampire. Yeah. It's pretty badass. Which I think this movie owes a lot to. Right, right. Well then, okay, yes, vampires are inherently queer, like, absolutely. But then compare, though, the number of lesbian, outright lesbian vampire films to gay male vampire films. And I feel like there's a double standard there. Oh, yeah. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. But that's because I feel like there was such a market for that in mm-hmm. the 70s in particular. Mm-hmm. And I don't know, I just feel like, for some reason, and I'm not saying this is right, I actually am very yeah. <laughs> opposed to this, but... A queer relationship between women seems to be more acceptable, especially when they look like the women in this movie. Oh, yeah. Than uh-huh. a queer relationship between men oh, in film. Could you imagine if the two women in this movie were like masculine, you know, butch women? No. No, <laughs> no. no know, one would go. Like, like, exactly. Because exactly. it's controlled by men. It's being made by men and they're selling this to men. Yeah. And like, that's why vampires are supposed to have this like elegance and this beauty about them because. It works that way. Because if there was, like, an ugly vampire and it was a woman and she was, like, trying to seduce... Or not ugly. Oh, my God. I did not mean to say that. No, <laughs> but, no, you know, like, less attractive. Yeah. <laughs> Le- less less, less conventionally attractive. But how right, interesting it... would that be? Can you imagine an ugly vampire movie? Well, I mean, no studio would make it. <laughs> I mean, no, <laughs> And, like, when they are the ugly vampires, there is... None of that, like, sensuality about them. No, They're like no. monsters, literally. They're gonna fucking get blonde hair, they're gonna put glasses and a ponytail on her. Like, ew, she got glasses <laughs> and a ponytail. Ew. Like, they're gonna carry her. Makeover, 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 makeover. No, it's like in that another teen movie when, um, oh, what's her face? She, like, pulls off the glasses and the ponytail. She goes, there, I did it. I'm a miracle worker. <laughs> <laughs> but 
but I mean, so, you would you would also have to spend ninety percent of your technical budget on lighting it to try to get it. Like, oh god, how are we going to make this person look more attractive? So Whereas in this one, it's like just set up the halo lighting above <laughs> the countess and let everybody else go fuck themselves because we right. only need to make her look as stunningly gorgeous as possible <laughs> at all times. Yes. And since we were touching on the gay stuff for a bit, I do want to pivot over to Stefan. And so, oh my God, let's talk about Stefan. Yes, oh, Stephen. because fuck Stefan. <laughs> but okay, his quote unquote mother. Mm-hmm. I had to email. Okay, so <laughs> con- full confession: I'm watching this movie today in anticipation of this recording. I had to message Trace and be like, "I'm not getting this. <laughs> like, what is up with the mom?" <laughs> Is she dead? Is it a vamp? Like, I was like, this is obviously a man, but is it like a John Waters thing? I don't get it. I honestly do not get it either. No, I don't get it. Oh, all right. So what I, oh my God, did I get something? I don't know. Well, let's find out. You got it and we didn't. No, no, no. So what I, how I understood it was this. He is gay or bisexual, what have you. He has an attraction to men that he is ashamed of. Because mm-hmm. and, and he's trying to leave it, much like Alona's trying to leave the Countess. Yeah. yeah, the two stories parallel each other really well in that regard. Very much, whereas, you know, Stefan becomes a douchebag and Alona becomes like more self-preservation-y uh, and just wanting to just get out on her own and like run away. Mm-hmm. So Stefan turns to a woman to convert him, to make him straight. And I don't even know why, what possesses him to say, oh, it's his mother. Like, what? why not just say my mother's dead? Like, I don't under, they don't have cell phones, you know, he's not like calling this man all the time. So yeah, he lies. And so every time she's like, oh, like, let's talk to your mother. And he acts all super weird. And it's just because it's his husband slash male lover that he's running away from. And he has such an internalized homophobia that Holy shit. it turns him into an abusive man because he yeah. can't accept his gayness. I'm shook. Yeah, it's Sugar Daddy Bill. After you were like, uh, dude, that's his male lover. Wait, wait, wait. I, I like, want to I wanna oh. say, though, I didn't read anything about this movie. That is purely me getting that. <laughs> He's so proud. No, because I don't get things. <laughs> <laughs> and no, I could be wrong, I mean, but I don't know. No, no, I really think that that is a very plausible explanation. Mm-hmm. Well, that's what that's what Bonnie said in her article. Bonnie, like, it's, an, <laughs> it's an older gentleman lover, but that kind of ties into the importance of the fact that they're on their honeymoon and they obviously had a very speedy engagement. Yeah. Well, I was curious as to how long they knew each other because it didn't seem like it was that long. Oh yeah, it seems like they met, they fell in love, quote unquote, and then they immediately got married. And that's why she is making such a big deal out of hearing from his mom, which you're right. It's like, dude, just tell a lie. Yeah. But it's interesting because, okay, so this is what Bonnie says. So the honeymoon traditionally is a transitional period during which the husband asserts his power and control over his bride, winning or forcing her into institutionalized heterosexuality. For the husband, then, the honeymoon period provides fear and anxiety. Will he prove potent enough, both sexually and socially, to bind, in quotations, his bride to himself and the marriage structure? So that's part of the reason why he's so aggressive towards Blanchere, because it's basically him being like, I'm not even a regular, quote-unquote, dude. He's trying to overcome whether he is gay and getting away from it or if he's like i was a kept man and i now need to assert my sexual virility so he's like i've got to dominate this girl 
Well, and that's maybe also why he's even doubly threatened by the Countess, because it's not even that he's losing his wife to another man, but he's losing his wife to a queer relationship. Ooh. Yeah, he's not potent enough to keep her, which is also then why I think he submits to Alona's advances, because he's like, oh, okay, I've got this other chick that I can bang and be a total man about it, even though, okay, so this is my question to the two of you, Mm -hmm. the sex scene with him and Alona There's one point where she's obviously riding on top of him and she's like caressing his face, but then she reclines down so that it's almost like they're lying pelvis to pelvis. Yes. And I, and and honestly, I was like, pegging? Is she doing (laughs) something? Because she's obviously like, he's not in her in that position. She would have broken his penis. So it reminded me of, like, if two men are with each other and they're trying to, like, mutually masturbate, like, where you put your penises together and you use one hand to jack them both off. That, I'm sorry, that's... I don't understand. Can you paint a clear picture? <laughs> <laughs> that, that's what that reminded me of, of course. But then Aluna does not have a penis that we know of. So, yeah, I didn't think they were actually having sex or anything. I thought they were just, like, intertwining their legs and, like, touching their genitals to each other. That's what mm. it felt like to me. So, like... I got scissoring in a weird way. Oh, yeah, that's what I thought. Yes. Because I, for one, have never done that with a man. <laughs> like, I don't think it's possible <laughs> physically. So I was very confused mm-hmm. when that happened. Also, like, I don't know if you caught this, but he goes up to, like, touch her chest and she, like, covers it. Oh, she full on crosses. She's like, nope, sorry. Yeah, I need to, to know what what was going on there. Well, the, I, I think you could read that there was maybe like she's been sexually abused by the countess. So she, it's kind of like, um, mm. like a rape victim, you know, when they're having sex with some, someone for the first time after their rape, that their, their, their body immediately kind of crosses. Oh, see, that's interesting. I read it as it's too intimate. And she was like, no, this is not for you because you're really just a mark. Like I'm only here because I've been told to do this so that the countess has time to seduce your wife. Oh, no, that, that's totally valid. I mean, again, I, I don't think there's any wrong way to read it. It's just like there are multi. The movie makes it intentionally vague, but not frustratingly so. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I liked that scene a lot, except that I was so sick of the. I was like, all right, cool. Now we got two heterosex scenes and <laughs> yeah. no lesbian ones. Well, okay. So what about her death scene in the shower? Why? Yes. Why does she freak out about the shower? Okay, so if you listen to the earlier part when they're having drinks, I think it's the policeman or the retired policeman, or maybe it's Stefan, mentions that there are several things that will affect vampires. And they say it's sunlight, I think they say garlic, and then the other one is water. Oh, I totally missed that. So the idea is that she cannot go into the water and i fully expected it to be like terrible special effects like her skin was gonna start burning or like steam was <laughs> yeah gonna like come wicked off witch from the west <laughs> but i loved it because it's very much similar to like no fangs no explicit vampirism symptoms she just freaks out and is like i need to get the fuck out of here but i loved the way that those scenes are shot like they're so frenetic and it's the same as when they're in Bruges and they see the uh, the body being taken out. Mm-hmm. And the whole idea is just, it's like, oh, okay, this is our equivalent of an action sequence in this film. Yeah. Really frenetic camera work and like jaggedy movements and faster editing. And then all of a sudden you're like, oh, wow, okay, she's dead. Well, I actually did think, though, that she had stabbed him. I thought he fell on the, sw- the shaving blade. What do we call it? Straight razor? Straight razor, yes. 
I was just shocked uh, that it killed anybody mm-hmm. that quickly. Yeah, I honestly did not think her death was very clear. I really thought that he fell on top of it between them. Also, I couldn't tell if he was actually dumb or if he knew that she was neglecting or not neglecting, but like denying his advances at that point. Mm-hmm. Oh, because he still seems like all jubilant and like, haha, no, let's go. Come on, come on. So I don't know if it was like a rape scene or oh, yeah. like he literally had no idea. I, I read it, it as, kind as of rapey. Rape yeah, he didn't get that anger that he did um, like with Blanchere, but mm-hmm. he was forced. I mean, I, I don't care how happy you sound. Like, yeah, when he was like grabbing her and putting her in the water, I was like, girl, like she said no. <laughs> yeah, I found it actually very upsetting to watch. I felt like it was really, really well performed by mm-hmm. both actors. But yeah, I was like, oh, wow, this is super rapey. And it it's an interesting contrast to the way that he then attacks Blanchere before they end up killing him, where that one felt more predatory, like, because he's talking about her in terms of ownership. Whereas this one, yeah. it feels to me like he's treating Alona like a bit of a whore. Yeah, I agree with that, actually. Because he's married to Blanchere, it's like there's stakes here. Mm-hmm. Like, this is his masculinity, mm-hmm. but I feel like... He feels like he can do whatever he wants with Alona. And so that's why he was all carefree and laughing about it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, a lot of his scenes were hard for me to watch. I mean, the violence wasn't super realistic, but it was still... Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, even when she grabs the straight razor, though, and cuts her hand, like, I winced a little bit at that. But then what about his death, though? His death was... Can't say that I was upset. <laughs> <laughs> Can't say that I was upset. <laughs> I've never seen a glass bowl used as a murder weapon before. And I know when, when a movie can do that, but like, oh, I've never seen that before. I'm like, okay, that's a free star for you movie. <laughs> I was trying to figure out what they had planned to do. I was like, are they going to try to smother him with a glass bowl? <laughs> I read they were trying to smother him. And I was like, interesting choice of weapon. Mm-hmm. Not what I would have gone for. And yet it's kind of hilarious that the countess she falls and she sweeps everything off that table, including utensils and plates and all these other things. And then she goes for quite possibly the most symbolically elegant kind of high fashion <laughs> kind of item that she could grab. And she's like, I'm not even going to smash him with this. I'm going to press it over his face. <laughs> like, and she, yeah, she's such a classy broad. She really is. I love her so much. It's, oh, God, I just like... <laughs> she's so elegant i just want to be her did you guys get like a weird christy vibe though when he's dead and then they're both sucking Mm -hmm. on his wrists oh yeah it's like totally stigmata (laughs) okay i'm still laughing at christy i love (laughs) (laughs) i was gonna say christ on the cross but then i was like mentally dropped you know how you're like well, you're like, try not to say the thing that, that you don't want to say when you're trying right, to say right. the thing that you do. And I was afraid I was going to say Christ on a cracker. Oh, okay. <laughs> See, I was just thinking Drive Day Gorgeous and just like, Jesus Christ on a cross! <laughs> yeah, that too. But... Um, yeah, I mean, do you think that was intentional? Yes. I would say so. I've been so. conditioned to believe that everything in films are intentional, so I have so to believe that. What do you think it would have been trying to say if it was intentional? I mean, if you believe in marriage as a religious act, mm-hmm. which we're not mm-hmm. explicitly really led to believe, like there's no praying, there's no priest in this movie, but 
to me, that's like the point of no return. These women are now in it and they have kind of killed the traditional marriage act. The man is dead and now they are free to exit. Which is funny because that marriage was not even based on love. They didn't even love each other. They disclosed the information at the very beginning of the movie. (laughs) I loved that. (laughs) Me too. I was like, this is really telling. I know that you're meant to be joking with one another. Like, no, I don't love you. Ha ha. And I was like, uh, no. Fully 30% of every joke is true. Is, yep. (laughs) Amen to that. I just, I do think that's kind of a flaw of this movie, though, is that I don't buy into their marriage, and so it makes me like not particularly enjoy their scenes when it's just the two of them. Hmm. To steal a line from you, it doesn't bother me. <laughs> so you can drink if you were paying attention. I, I feel like that's why that scene with Blanchere and the Countess, well, he's off porking Alona, where the Countess is like, do you actually love him? And she's like, I feel like I could love him or that he's the only person I've ever wanted to give myself over to. So to me, I was like, oh, girl, if you were virgin before this, <laughs> is this the first person that you've ever fallen in love with and you're just infatuated and then you married this person? I wondered that, actually. Because she seems super naive and idealistic. I feel kind of bad for her, though. I know we, like, mock her a lot. But, <laughs> we're allowed but, to do like, both. <laughs> yeah, she's not badass like the Countess. But maybe that's why what, what drew, the, drew the Countess to her, that she's a blank slate. Oh, yeah, that's actually a good point. Yeah, I'll like, she's, she's kind of the virgin, right? Mm-hmm. And innocence is attractive to predators. <laughs> God. And, well, I've I heard. mean, she's... Clearly not a virgin, but she does have, like, that innocent air about her. And she did say that the whole, like, Bathory thing is that it's virgin blood that she bathes in. Mm -hmm. So maybe that naivete, it was definitely intentional. Well, yeah. And the Countess's conversation with Stefan, where they're talking about all the terrible things that she did to these women, she clearly does have a bit of a sadistic streak to her. So the idea of corrupting and turning someone who is naive and innocent into something like her i think would probably also be a little bit appealing yeah it's appealing to me (laughs) (laughs) you're like hmm how can i go out and find myself a naive virginal boy or girl i'm just gonna soak through my panties oh sorry (laughs) that's a line from the hot chick (laughs) oh god i've not seen that movie oh it's so good well i'm not gonna i'm not gonna plug it but it's really good (laughs) it's not good but it's really good it's enjoyable i'm really glad you guys liked this though i was i was because i like it a lot but i do have my issues with it Mm -hmm. so to hear that you guys were like really into it is really good for me at the risk of sounding like a dumb millennial like whenever i'm going into an older film i am a little wary because i'm like okay I know that people like this movie. I know it's like regarded as whatever, but I'm always worried that I'm not going to be able to really place myself there, like in the time period to appreciate it for what it is. Right. But with this one, I did. I really, really, really enjoyed this. Yeah, I was worried that it was either going to be really exploitative and just kind of gratuitous and gross, or that it would be so slow and artsy that it would Mm -hmm. feel just a little too glacial. And I feel like it definitely came down in the middle of those two. Like, I don't think it's very exploitative at all, but it does have enough subversive elements to make it very interesting for modern audiences. 
And the pacing, well, not as obviously fast-paced mm-hmm. as contemporary films, it moves along. Like, it doesn't feel like, oh, God, it's an hour and 40 minutes, and I've still got, oh, God, 45 minutes. Arguably, oh. <laughs> the slowest part you could say, I guess, is maybe the first 20 minutes of this movie. That's probably the slowest that this movie is. Yeah. But once they, once the blue drink scene happens, for me, I was like, oh, sold, like, done. Like, from there, it just picked up and, like, never stopped for me. Yeah, well, we started seeing the Countess more often. I was completely, like, mm-hmm. under her spell the same way that they must have been, for mm-hmm. sure. Yeah, absolutely. Plus, she's always doing wacky things, like <laughs> running people off on bikes off the road. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I forgot about that! <laughs> I only brought it up because I was like, uh, I don't really know how I felt about that policeman. And then I was like, oh, we never saw... Him. Oh, yeah, she basically just murdered him <laughs> by driving him <laughs> off the road with her car. <laughs> she... I, yeah... She didn't really kill him, though. He, he he does, like, fall, but she doesn't run him over. Well, but you'd never see him again, so... Well, I just thought that was the movie being lazy. <laughs> Whatever. He's know. dead! Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Look, he's not a problem anymore. I'm not saying whether he's alive or dead. No, but but that shot of her swerving the car to him, I was just like, <laughs> You go, bitch! <laughs> She's like, Kill that oh, yeah, I, got, I gotta get back before dawn. Oh, hey, is that who I think it is? <laughs> <laughs> She wasted a valuable seconds to swerve that car. <laughs> yeah, which, despite the fact that she spent the entire evening being like, uh, can we hurry this up? I gotta get home before the sun. Yes. <laughs> She's like, mm, I'll take the five seconds to run this guy off the road. <sighs> I love that. Yeah. I feel so empowered on her behalf. <laughs> Oh, uh, yeah, it's great. Uh, I'm so happy she's alive at the end of this movie. Except she's in that other body, which is not as good as the other one, but whatever. True. Because <laughs> that hair. Oh. <laughs> the Countess's <laughs> hair. Like, honestly, I would just find myself staring at the Dietrich hair. It's so platinum. It's so perfectly quaffed. <laughs> it's like in soft focus at all times. Yes. 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 Gosh. <sighs> I kind of want to seek out other films with her to see. Me too. What is she like in other films? <laughs> I mean, the other film that she's really famous for is... It's she worked French. with a lot of really famous French directors, I yeah. believe. Like, yes, she worked with yes. Truffaut. It's called... Uh, I think it's called Stolen Kisses. Um, There is a movie called Stolen Kisses from 1968 that she's in. There's a couple... I mean, there's a, there, she has a pretty large filmography. It, she really dips in the 80s. That's kind of when she stopped. But she did die in 1990 at the age of 58. Mm-hmm. So sad. Yeah. Yeah, it says she's known for The Day of the Jackal from 1973. Oh, lung cancer. Oh, that's really sad. Yeah. I feel like she could have been, like, still pretty active, because she was amazing in this. Mm-hmm. I can only imagine what a more graceful, mature... <laughs> not, not a lesbian vampire movie. Like. <laughs> yeah. I would totally watch... Can you imagine, like, a senior... Oh, well, they don't age. Never mind. <laughs> no, no, no. But, but, but if you have someone who was turned at an old age turning other senior citizens... Touche. Mm-hmm. Touche. I would totally watch that. It's interesting, though, because this film kind of wants you to think that. I mean, she's not old when she filmed this, obviously, but they do do that age guessing game where she's kind of yeah. like, right. mm, 35. How generous of you. Well, she would have been 40, uh, I'm sorry, 39 when the film was released. So she probably was 38 when they filmed it. She looks fucking good. Yeah, she really does. Yeah. But she does have this, like, mature air about her. You're mm-hmm. right. It's mm-hmm. not like she's, like, this young, sexy, like, vampire. I mean, she's sexy as hell, but you know what I mean. But see, I think that people back then looked a lot older than they were. Like, Blonde Cher does not... I, I bet you she's supposed to be, like, 21 or 22 in this movie. And she looks like she's... 
37. <laughs> oh, <laughs> but no, but not not because she looks old and haggard, but because I just think that people back then look like people now. I think look younger. Well, yeah, because it's fucking Botox and as much makeup from Sephora as you can get. <laughs> well, I mean, I know, but I mean, even like teenagers, you know, like I feel like teenagers back then looked older than teenagers, whereas teenagers today look like teenagers. Right, because like in the eighties, you got freaking Judd Nelson, right? Yeah. That's his name. Yep. Judd Nelson in high school. Yeah, when he had gray hair. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Or that one Andrea girl from Nine Hundred Two One Zero, where she's like thirty-five and playing a high school senior. <laughs> it's ridiculous. Yeah, but yeah, um, Delphine Sevega is wonderful. Yes. Hmm. Uh, any other thoughts on the wonderful Daughters of Darkness? Oh, I do have one little factoid. Not we don't have to go on about it, but I'm um, apparently uh, the director hit Danielle. We met who's Valerie uh, during a dispute, and actor John Carlin was so infuriated by his behavior that he punched Kumel in the face. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, the set was tense afterwards. And now I feel even worse for Valerie. <laughs> so much so that I'm giving her her identity. I was going to say, you're using her name again. So <laughs> <clearly>. <laughs> she's earned it we've come full circle that's great yes that is character redemption right there (laughs) so uh before we before we log off do the two of you want to play a quick little game by all means every time i've said yes it's never led to anything good (laughs) (laughs) well this one is pretty low stakes i promise so okay so taking the cue from your suggestion Allie. If you were going to remake this film and you had to recast these actors, who would play who? Oh, God. I'm going to be so biased with this. Oh, good. Go. Yeah, that's what it's all about. (laughs) Okay, Kristen Stewart would be the Countess. As the Countess? Really? Really? She's very young looking, but I just wanted... I think she could... Well, maybe not. I don't know. No, but I'm I'm now imagining like Kristen Stewart as like a hot vampire mama. I'm into it, and that is good. I would die for that. The ultimate like fuck you to Twilight. Basically, she's like fuck you guys. I'm doing this other vampire. Oh my god! Yes, (laughs) that would be, dude. I'm gonna write a strongly worded email. (laughs) (laughs) Blonde Cher would be. I don't want to make her blonde. <laughs> Just hit share. <laughs> <laughs> Could you imagine? Um, who would be good as like naive kind of? I'll throw a hat in the ring for this. I was gonna say Amanda Seyfried. Mm. Ooh. Love that. Like, kind of, do- I mean, doe-eyed or bug-eyed, however you want to call her, but just very, <laughs> like, innocent looking. I like her eyes, but they are Me very too. striking. Yes. But th- that was going to be my, uh, and we know she can do lesbian because she was in Chloe with Julianne Moore. God. And we know she can do not lesbian because she was in Jennifer's body. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my. But, um, yeah. There are gauntlets being thrown left and right. <laughs> Well, no, I love Jennifer's body, but I mean, remember at first, Blanche is a little bit resistant, so yeah. I think she could do both sides of the coin really well. Mm-hmm. She's got to be lesbian finger touched into it. Yes. <laughs> and I think Stefan. Yeah, who's like a deplorable asshole? Fucking. Oh, God. I mean, it depends. If we want to make him really hot, my addition would be the guy from Younger, Nico Tortolello. <gasps> No, Nico Tortorella, and he's queer. 
Yes, yes. But apparently also engaged to Lindsay Lohan at some point. What? I don't know about strange. that. But he is gorgeous. I follow him on Instagram. And I don't want to say that I've masturbated to him. Okay. But... <laughs> and moving on. He's so pretty. He's so... Oh, God, I love him. And also Scream 4. Yeah. I was going to say Sam Rockwell just because he's... I hate him in every movie he's in because Ooh. he plays an asshole in every movie he's in. He I would to be playing exclusively assholes now. Yeah. yeah. Racist assholes. That would be interesting, though, because if it was him and Amanda Seyfried, you would also have an interesting age gap like an older man with a like kind of child bride who's then getting recruited by a very young looking highly sexualized vampire oh i'm liking this i am too well so okay then here's your last one then who's alona someone very striking fucking um Oh my god, Kat Dennings. <gasps> oh! Whoa! Yes! <laughs> People, I'm loving this. I'm living for this. <laughs> Hollywood, reach out to us. Yes, we'll be your casting directors. No need to send us an email. <laughs> I love it too because Kat Dennings never gets a good role. Ever. No, and, she doesn't. I mean, I liked her in Nick and Nora. Yes. But that's pretty much it. Yeah. Only because she was on that um, two no, broke girls for like about seven that. years. <laughs> Six years, yeah. <laughs> Fucking hate that show. And then, you know, Thor. Yeah, no. I, I, I'm all for more Kat Dennings. I love her sardonic wit. Mm-hmm. And that's our dream casting. Oh, wait. I'm going to, just really quickly, if Kat Dennings says no, I would say Kristen Ritter. <laughs> oh, mm-hmm. that's interesting. I've never seen her do sexy, really. So I think it would be kind of an interesting spin for her. That's interesting mm-hmm. to cast things that way. Because I, I would always go for something that I've seen before and done well. Mm-hmm. No, for sure. Yeah. Absolutely. Trace is nothing if not contrarian, so he likes to <laughs> he likes to have people do things outside of what they would normally do. So I have a thing where I like seeing women like be like bitches and be you know bad girls, but I'm also big on like casting against type. Yeah, I mean obviously yeah, it's a risk because you want to make sure they can do it. But I think that because I'm, again, like I think casting Kristen Stewart as the Countess is against type. Yes, definitely. But I think she can oh, do that it. Would be so good. Yeah, oh, be so good. I do have to say that's easily the most inspired mm-hmm. casting choice. Like I was not even in the same no. stratosphere as I that. was thinking. Like <laughs> Tilda Swinton. <laughs> oh shit! That would uh, be good would, too. Uh, okay, can we just like have doubles? <laughs> like, oh, two competing versions. Well, no, it's like going high, forward at the same time. It's like in high school when they double cast to play, and it's like, oh, like this cast goes on Thursday and Saturday, and this other cast goes Saturday uh, goes Friday and Sunday. Yeah, <laughs> that's what they're gonna. And, oh, it'll be like Clue, where it's like you know you get the different endings. You don't know which one you're gonna get when you go in, so you're gonna go buy a ticket to Daughters of Darkness, but you don't know if it's movie A or movie B. Oh I love that. Let's make it happen. <laughs> I would watch both versions in a heartbeat. <laughs> oh man. Oh god, we're just coming up with lots of great ideas that will not make any money. No, no. <laughs> this will be direct to video and <laughs> <laughs> and covered on my podcast. <laughs> Shutter will pick it up. It's fine. Uh, so speaking of plugs, Allie, where yeah. can people find you? What should they be listening to? So you can find me on Twitter at sick underscore underscore that's two underscores 66 i also have my podcast called sequels s-e-e-q-u-e-l-s where we cover direct-to-video sequels <laughs> <laughs> which our previously named movie will be a part of shortly i'm sure nice and yeah all right and trace you can find me on twitter at traced thurman and i am at a b still my remote that's the letter b 
And of course, if you are going to be uh, talking about us on Twitter, we would love it if you would use the hashtag horrorqueer so we can find you and defend ourselves if you're talking trash about us. And you can also <laughs> email us at horrorqueers at gmail.com. Ooh, ooh. But if people have other casting choices, they should definitely put them in as well. Oh, fuck yeah. Just send them away. <laughs> love it. And put those on Twitter, though. Like, Don't bury those in email. That's terrible. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but tag Allie in them as well yes please yes uh, yes i would love to see that when we do our article to promote this we'll um tag you in bloody's tweet about it oh my gosh <laughs> that is actually monumentous for me oh yeah i know girl it'll be good <laughs> she says she's got more followers than i know you have like over five thousand <laughs> followers on twitter <laughs> i just eked over two thousand and poor joe he's over there down with his thousand yeah, nobody I likes I think me. you guys deserve more followers because you guys put out the most consistently good content Aww. on Twitter. Thank you. It's a you recent thing, it. but we'll see. <laughs> <laughs> it's only when we drink. Oh, God. Well, no. Uh, there's an episode coming out next week. Whoa, 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 whoa. Hold on. Let me finish plugging in, then we'll talk about that. So, yeah, if you want to hear more of the Horror Queers, you can go to our Patreon at patreon.com backslash Horror Queers and give us $5 a month to listen to extra episodes. We do give you two a month. And uh, we have episodes. Our most recent one is on the Last House on the Left remake, as well as Jordan Peele's Us. So that'll be really Ooh. exciting. And of course, you can read our articles once a month on Bloody Disgusting. And on that note, we also want to thank Bloody for sponsoring us because it's super, super nice of them. It's true. Joe, what are we covering next week? And by next week, I mean the, the podcast we recorded last night. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we are going to take a dip into horror musical theater with the 2014 film Stage Fright by Jerome Sable. Not to be confused with the other versions of Stage Fright. This is the, the better ones with the singing and the not dancing and the <sighs> and and the not comedy. Yeah, I do want to forewarn listeners that I drank a bottle of wine before we recorded last night. So stick around for Mean Trace. <laughs> I'm a little mean. I, honestly, I I'm a little mean. <laughs> so have fun. <laughs> Uh, all right well i guess now on that note we can cross out daughters of darkness yes and we can cross out horror queers Whee!